Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church. I'm Colby. I'm one of the, I'm the lead pastor here. And, um, you know, thanks for joining us. I, we always, I always wanted to um, plant a church in Kelowna and see people face-to-face in a physical location. Uh, I always, we've, we've been planning for last year to actually launch in the Grand Ten, um, kind of the Rutland area. And, you know, for us, this is kind of a crazy time where we get to actually um, beam into your living rooms and, and be on YouTube and Facebook. Um, and I just want to say thanks for joining us. But I would love it for a second if you would just go and share this um, on your Facebook or um, share the YouTube link. Because I think for us, we want to we make Jesus known in Kelowna. Um, that's our passion. Um, it's not about more morality or religion. It's about Jesus. For us, for me, it's all about Christ. I remember in grade 10, when I first met these Christians, and uh, it was the first time really in my life where I met Christ followers um, in grade 10 in Cornell, um, this northern British Columbian town, and when I encountered their life, it wasn't like this perfect, incredible life, but the way they loved people, the way they looked at people, the way they talked about people was so radically different than anything I've ever seen in my whole life. It was compelling. It actually made me have to, to wrestle with who is Christ. Is Christ either who he said he was, that he's someone who lived and died and rose again, overcame sin, Satan, and death, or is he just some crazy lunatic that everybody wrote about and built this myth? So for me, I had to wrestle with, who is Christ? And so when I started reading through the Gospels, I was really encountering the person of Jesus. And it was compelling. It changed my life. Like I wasn't drawn to Christianity because I wanted more rules in my life, or I wanted to be a really moral person, or I wanted to, you know, rise up the ranks of this religious order. No, that's not what I wanted. I wanted more of Jesus. And we, I deeply want to make Jesus known in Kelowna. And that means you participating in this. That means you sharing this on Facebook or YouTube. It means just texting a friend and saying, hey, listen to this message or check out this church in Kelowna. Be a part of this. We'd love to get to know you um, in your family. And all it looks like is just DMing us, direct message um, on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and we get to love to get to know who you are. Because I want to share a little bit about who we are and what we're passionate about as a church in Kelowna. Um, you know, we're looking at this passage in 1 Peter, and we've been in this letter that Peter wrote um, to Christians in roughly about 64 AD, and um, it's kind of like in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to, to a, a group of Christians who are suffering, who are struggling. I think for us, in a pandemic, I can relate to this, this idea of struggling, of suffering, of of just like every day waking up not knowing what's going to happen. Like some days I feel like for a lot of months, you know, from March to, to about May, like my day-to-day was based on what Bonnie Henry said, right? Like who knows what she's going to talk about? Can we be outside? Could we go to the back to the mall? Can we, like what can we do, right? Can I bring my kids with me when I go out? Like all these kind of situations that I think for us, this is a very unique time in our history. And I think a lot of people losing their jobs like in a second. People... Um, you know, having to like, you know, defer on their mortgage. I think there's a time right now where people are like really hurting. They're really struggling. They're really looking for um, 
something more than all the things their life has been built on. And that's why we want to talk about 1 Peter, because Peter is writing to a church that's suffering, that something happens to them that in their, in their weakness, in their brokenness, in their suffering, God is, is strong. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His kingdom. It's about His glory. It's about His work. It's not about me and my work and my little tiny kingdom. It's about Him. So they think this, in this moment, in this pandemic, pandemic, the question is, who are you becoming? Like, who am I becoming? Like, how are you being shaped? Are we being shaped by like a shock doctrine of this whole world that's just kind of going to pot? Like, it's just breaking down. Like, people are suffering and being hurt. Fires and explosions in and, and Beirut. Like, how are we actually being shaped? How are we, like, years and years and years from now, we're going to understand what psychologically this moment did to us. We're looking at a passage today, but how do you deal with struggle? How do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with trouble? Like, how do you deal with the, the time when you actually get into some sticky situations, some trouble moments? It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Let's check it out. It says here, um, Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ as the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when, they, when you are accused, those who disparage you, your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. What an interesting passage, right? I think the first bit of this, Peter's talking about, about if you were to struggle, if you were to suffer, if you were to be persecuted, you know, what's the first situation? What's the first response? The human response to people who are being persecuted, who are suffering, who are struggling, what's the first response, right? There's fear. That's what he's saying here. The first response, the human condition is fear, it's being troubled. In this translation, the CSB says that you're actually intimidated. See, there's two responses to suffering and to struggle and to persecution. It's fear and it's intimidation or being troubled. Right? Like, I think sometimes Peter would have known this really well. Peter was a follower of Christ. He was a disciple of Jesus. You read through the Gospels, which I think is a great thing uh, in a pandemic. Just go and read through you know, started the gospel of Mark. I was talking to this couple this past week, and I was saying, like, where do I start? We started at Genesis. Like, start at the gospel of Mark. It's the shortest. It's the clearest gospel. And when you read through the gospels, you encounter this really kind of this, this incredible man who's kind of a bonehead, right? And it's Peter. They call him a son of thunder. Like, he was, you know, like an Enneagram 8. He was, like, larger than life. He was he was the guy who was like, when Jesus was like, who do you say I am? And he's like, uh, I think some people say you're Elijah. It's like, who, Peter, who do you say? You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. But what happens is for Peter, when he was troubled, when he was fearful, there's these two accounts in the Gospels which are so interesting. It shows that, that Peter understood what it was like to be a coward. He understood what it was like to actually to struggle. He knew what it was like to be fearful, full of fear, and full of like, Fear of being intimidated by others. 
See, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and what happens, right? These Pharisees and these Sadducees and these Roman guards come up, and they try to, to capture Jesus, and Peter does this amazing thing. He, he rips out a sword and cuts a man's ear off. Right? Like, full of fear. Like, in that moment, you probably think, wow, like, Peter's taking control, but in that moment, he was this cowardly person because he's so full and being controlled by the unknown, the fear that, that he's facing. Another situation, Peter, when Jesus is being crucified, being whipped and beaten, people three times ask him if he was associated with Jesus. And three times, what did he say? I don't know this person. <laughs> I don't know who this person is. Like, like, I don't know about you if that's ever happened to you, but like, there's moments for me at the beach or around town where, where someone's like waving at someone. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And then like, oh, they're not waving at me. They're waving at someone behind me. You see, I think there's moments where we're ashamed to be associated with other people. And Peter here was full of fear and full of actually being intimidated by people. And I think sometimes we've had these moments. We've had these moments in our life where we've been like, we've been marked. We've been like controlled by fear deeply. That right now, maybe in your home, that you're fearful. You're fearful of going out. You're fearful of going to the mall. You're fearful of shaking someone's hands. You're fearful of the unknown of this next year. I know what that looks like. I know what it looks like to be fearful of the unknown. Like we moved our whole family here to plant a church. Just in a split second to have it all changed and be like, I don't know what's happening next. Like I never dreamed about planting a church in Kelowna to be preaching to an empty room with a camera in it. You see, I think for all of us, we can relate to Peter in this human condition that when, when you're up against the wall, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, when you're being persecuted, when you feel like wrong is being done to you, whether it's from a person or a situation, that the first moment, the first thing you face or encounter is fear and intimidation of the circumstance of the person. It doesn't always feel normal to be persecuted, to be full of fear. But I think right now in this, in this moment, in this time, in a pandemic, that we've normalized fear. That I remember the first few, few weeks after we were locked down, going down to the grocery store was exhausting because I don't know about you, if you saw people in a grocery store, their eyes were full of fear. Like their body language was full of fear, full of anxiety, of the unknown. You see, I think when you look at people's lives, I think in Kelowna, when you look at people's lives and you look at their, there's always a veneer, I think, in Kelowna. There's this beautiful, incredible veneer of people and it's like, it looks so perfect. Everything looks so remarkably good. But deep down under that veneer, like, you know, less than a millimeter under that veneer, it's just a dumpster fire and that's my life too that all of our lives look incredibly great at a far distance, but up close they look so messed up and broken. There's a struggle in there. You think about this, that every great story, you think about any story, just think about any story that you can, any movie, any book, like every great story starts with a struggle. The protagonist always has some sort of obstacle to overcome, but it always starts with a struggle. Like, imagine if Robin Hood didn't have the sheriff. 
Imagine if Bruce Wayne had his parents. He'd be a spoiled little brat. But guess what? Bruce Wayne became this orphan kid and ended up wanting to revenge his mom and dad. You see, that's why so many movies, think about Disney movies, I watch them with my kids all the time, they always start with like a parent dying or a struggle because that's so relatable to us because our lives are full of struggle. That maybe a distance, it looks very great, but up close and personal, it looks like a struggle every single day. That we can relate to the struggle. We can relate to a movie that has a protagonist, the main character who's like trying to overcome something, trying to achieve something, trying to like redeem something. Like I can relate to a character who's struggling. I can't relate to someone who's had a, just, had, had a great, comfortable, incredible life. Like what a terrible movie that'd make. You wouldn't go to a movie to watch someone who just had its perfect, incredible life. Like you had a movie to watch someone overcome something, to be inspired, that you can go home and overcome whatever struggle it is. Right? Think about even like, you know, the Marvel movies, right? Like it all builds to this point where they have to overcome this incredible character, Thanos. My son is obsessed with this. But imagine if it was just like, you know, the whole Avenger team just living out their boring existence without any adversity, any struggle, you wouldn't watch that movie. That wouldn't be a comic to buy. But every story starts with a struggle. And that's what you have to realize. Martin Luther said this great thing. He said here that where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Let me repeat this one more time. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. You see, you want to know what you really deeply believe in your life. Do you want to know what you at your core value. Just struggle. Go up against some adversity. Those are the moments where where you feel threatened. Where the things that you hold so valuable to your life, when they get threatened or, or they get uprooted or you lose them. You see, I think that's a lot of times for empty nesters why it's such a big issue because their whole identity is being built around their children and all of a sudden, guess what? The whole world, your whole life, kids doesn't evolve around you anymore. It evolves around your kids' lives and you have to actually, your life is about them again. You see, I think for a lot of us, we don't want the struggle. We want a very easy and cozy life. We want comfortable. We want safe. Following Jesus isn't that. Like Jesus didn't say, come follow me, I'll make your life fully blessed. You know, he said, I'll, I'll give you life and life to the full because he's in it now. But here's the thing, right? If you are following Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, that he's the object you put your trust in, that your security is found in Jesus' life, not your morality or good deeds or your religiosity. Um, it's Jesus. Or you don't have to be defined by your struggle, even though your story starts with that. But you have to, your, your life, ultimately, if you follow Jesus, has to be found. Your identity is found in Jesus. It says here, but in your hearts regard Christ, the Lord, as holy. You see, what in your heart do you regard as holy? What in your, in your life do you value the most? Peter is just kind of hammering this over and over and over again because guess what? You and I have these things that we hold so dear to our life. 
What Peter's getting at here is, is that when in your heart you regard Christ as holy, when, when your life is about valuing him over everything else, over your family, over your possessions, over your car, over your money, everything gets reorganized. You want to know how to be a courageous person in a life full of cowards? Give your life to Jesus. Like, he will give you an incredible life full of struggle. <laughs> it, it looks like a life full of forgiving your enemies, turning the other cheek, becoming the last so you become the first. You see, I think so often that we make Jesus into our own image, but Christ wants, a, wants to make us into his image. That his, we find our identity not in our own belonging, our own, our own doing, but we find our belonging, our identity, and what Christ has done for us. Following Jesus should give your life significance and meaning and purpose. It's not just about anyone anymore. It's, it's all about Jesus. The only way I could think about what it looks like to have a life that's so not focused on you was when, um, you know, I had kids. Remember one of my friends said this about having a baby. He said that um, everything was great until we had a baby. Right? I think what he's trying to say here is that everything is great. Everything in your life is centered around you. And then when you have a, chill, a child, like you have to die to yourself. Like there's a selfless act. Right? When my daughter cries out at three in the morning, who's getting her glass of water? Right? I am or her mother is. There's a great quote, right? Like, like, who asks a king for a glass of water at 3 a.m.? Right? A son or daughter of the king. You see, that's a posture and a position. That your life is no longer about, your, about you and what you want. It's about what Christ is doing in you. And that's what it means to have your identity based on Jesus. See, every story starts with a struggle. But it doesn't have to stay in that struggle. It can actually move on to finding your identity in Christ. And that's when I think the story starts. The story moves on to not become about my selfish acts because I'm going to be a very selfish person. I could, you know, Lori and I had seasons where we had double income and no kids. But for us, when I had, we had kids, it purged the selfishness out of me. It broke us in a whole other way because our life isn't built on us anymore. See, when your story starts with a struggle and your life is defined by Christ, you realize that your life is an apologetic. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says here that be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Right? Like early on in, first, in Peter's letter, he says here that you have a living hope, and that's Jesus. It's not your good deeds, your good works, it's Christ. When you read through the Old Testament in Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says here, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So there's like this Jewish concept in this passage, and it's not just simply that our thoughts determine how we live. It's actually, there's a, a thinking that actually moves beyond the intellect and penetrates the core of our humanity, which is the human heart. That's what Peter's trying to talk about here. There's a lot of things that we accept in our mind but don't ever penetrate, don't ever get to our heart that actually change our affections, what we call our core values or beliefs. 
Like a lot of people might understand who Jesus is, but it's never really changed their desires. They say it's interesting that, that in the States, in the United States of America, that, that 30% of people are actually going back to churches. Right? So there's this great conversation among pastors. People are saying here is like, well, you know, they weren't Christians anyways. But I think what happened is that intellectually people understand who Jesus is. They understand what he did. But maybe for the last 10 to 15 years, he hasn't really changed your affections, your desires. It just became this intellectual exercise to go to church every week and say, yeah, I did it. I checked it off. I'm moving on. But what, what happens is if you actually follow Christ, it changes your heart. It changes your posture. It changes your desires, your values of your life. It changes your affections. You see, I would love for us to be a church that doesn't just intellectually know Jesus, but actually lets him change our heart, change our affections, our desires. That the gospel, that we're broken and sinful people, that Jesus came to live and die and rise again so we could be set free from sin, Satan, and death. That change is not just it's not just something to think about. It actually changes deep down our desires. That your life becomes the apologetic that people see all every day. That your life becomes the defense for Christ in our world. I heard this great quote by this guy named Jamie Munson. He said here that every single, every single transaction that you make financially as a declaration of whose kingdom you're building. Like, that, that is awful. <laughs> like, sure, yeah, crazy, like, Jesus, I'm in, but, but not my bank balance, or not my, my family, or not my possessions, or, or not my loan time. Whatever it is for you, following Christ costs something, and your life becomes the apologetic, the defense the witness that people will see, that your life might be the Bible people actually read. It doesn't mean being a perfect person. It doesn't mean being like having this incredible veneer because someone just recently talked to me about this. They said, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted of the fake Christians that go around with like a smile on their face and go, we're so great. Everything's great. But deep down, I know that behind the veneer, things aren't great. Maybe the apologetic that people see, the defense for the hope that you have, isn't based on your own doing. It's based on what Christ has done for you. So when you go through marital issues, or when you go through um, conflict with your wife, or conflict with your bank balance, or, or losing you know, everything you hold dear, or having cancer diagnosis, you can still wake up in the morning knowing that there is hope because of Christ. It doesn't mean putting on this great face and saying, wow, things are so incredibly remarkable. It means understanding the depth of it. Your pain, your suffering, your brokenness, your fear, and being intimidated by it. But knowing that Christ has overcame those things. That in the end, that you're going to be restored with Jesus. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Like, that's the hope. The hope isn't based on your actions. It's based on the resurrection. You know, when people see your life, they're going to ask questions. They're going to ask questions about how you spend your money or how you value your time. If you follow Christ, it should change those things. 
It should change everything. It's not like a little trinket you put up on a shelf and say, look at how beautiful that looks. Like, you know, it's not like a precious little moment on a shelf. Jesus comes in and blows up your whole life and reorganizes it. Blows up your foundation. When he changes your affections. If it's just an intellectual exercise, it's not going to change anything. But if it penetrates, if it actually gets to your heart, it changes your desires and your values. It changes everything about you. Peter moves on and talks about how to engage people. He says here, you have to engage people by being gentle with reverence. You know, I think you have to actually want to be friends with people. Like, why I think sometimes are Christians so terrible at this, about creating this, like, fakeness of, like, this person here, my neighbor to my left, my right, are actually a project, but actually getting to know who they are and, and why they do what they do and what makes them tick and who is their family members and their story of their whole life. Like, understanding those situations not as a way of, of just checking it off. Like, I've been so guilty of this. I remember years ago at a skate park, I'll never forget this moment, I was talking with my friends, and uh, we're skateboarding, in Salmon Arm, and my friend said, have you talked to my, this other friend of mine who just moved back to Salmon Arm? And I said, oh yeah, it's on my list. Like I actually said to someone, it's on my list of things to do. Like I feel like maybe deep down, I was just being a good Christian trying to like check those people off. But what Peter's trying to say here is that your whole life is this witness. Your whole life is a defense. And if you actually want to do this, if you actually want to live your life out for Christ, it looks like you're gentle, and you use some reverence. You have some meekness when you approach those relationships. That is a boldness of like, you're going to hell. I know exactly what you, what you need because you do know what people need. You need Jesus. But how do you engage people in a way, prayerfully, when you need to know their story, they actually start asking questions about your life. Like, where is your church? And how's your church going? And is it online? Or, you know, I, I noticed that I notice this about your family, or I notice this. Right? Your life becomes the apologetic, the defense for Jesus that people might only see. I know for me, in grade 10, I always heard about Christians and what they're against. I had this great uh, childhood experience where I feel like I was taught about Christianity from this incredible, remarkable show called The Simpsons. Right? And that's what educated me about who Jesus was. Like some people, all they're going to see about who Jesus is is from this pathetic guy on Family Guy or through The Simpsons or from a movie. But you're living right next to them. You get to be the witness for them. You get to be the example for them. You get to actually bring Jesus into your neighborhood. You actually get to bring it, bring Christ into your friends and your family's lives. You see, I think for us, I would love as a church wherever you're at, to realize that every story starts with a struggle. That whatever you're facing right now, that you're not alone. That God knows you in your struggle. He loves you. And he is relentlessly pursuing you regardless of how terrible and awful your struggle is. But that your identity isn't built, isn't found in the struggle. Or it isn't the struggle, it's Jesus. If you want to live a life courageously that's not for yourself or not based on fear and intimidation, live a life that's based in Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, what does it look like to love someone and forgive someone? 
We forgive not because it's like a religious moral thing. You, you forgive because guess what? Christ looked at your depth of your sin, of my sin, my brokenness, and said, I love you regardless, Colby, of your brokenness and your sin. The stupid stuff you do all the time that breaks my heart, I love you regardless of that. And that's why we love people. See, ultimately, your identity needs to be found in Jesus. That makes you courageous. But lastly, I think for us as a church, I want us to be the apologetic, the defense that people see every single day in Kelowna. That we, the question is, do you have a hope in you? When you're going through a struggle and you're wrestling with your identity, because maybe it's placed the wrong things, like do you have hope in the midst of all of that? A living hope, a living hope that can be only found in Jesus. That's what Peter's trying to say here, is that all these things change us, shape us. That your story's always going to have a struggle. And your identity's not found in your things, or your, or your acclaim. It's found in Jesus. But also your life, your example of the good stuff, the, the nitty-gritty, the brokenness. Not the veneer, but the dumpster fire of your life is the apologetic that people actually see and understand that Christ is doing a transforming and changing work in your life. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for how you've worked in my life, how you brought me to a place in British Columbia called Quinell, and I heard about you for the first time from Christians who lived this broken, messy life. Their life wasn't by any means perfect, but they loved so radically, they cared so radically different. Father, I pray that we understand that our story is going to have a struggle, and that our story doesn't have to be marked by fear and intimidation. We don't have to be troubled by this struggle and the situation. Lord, but our identity can be found in you and you alone. That our identity would be found in our own works, but in your works on the cross. Lord, let our, let our lives live, be lived every single day in light of what you did on the cross. That every declaration of us spending our bank, our bank account or every moment we're at a convenience store or at a grocery store or out with friends for a cup of coffee, Lord, that every single moment would be a declaration, Lord, that this is about your kingdom, not my kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.